Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Victoria Ely. Very warm welcome to you, Victoria. Thank you, Amy, and thank you for having me. Well, you were introduced by lovely Kim Hamer, as as was also Nick Bush, who's recently been on the show. So it's been great to have two recommendations, albeit that you've both had to wait quite a long time from the introduction to the actual recording because of the, the way that people have been queued up because it's, everyone seems to be so keen to come on the show. So it's been a pleasure waiting to have your story and your why being shared today. Thank you. Um, yeah, it has been a long time coming, but it, it'll be worth the wait, hopefully. So why don't you share with us where you are now, what you're up to, what, what's going on in your world? Okay, so I am a passionate, supported living landlord. I've built my business to help the vulnerable members of our society when they're most in need of somewhere that's safe and warm to live. So my portfolio or majority of my portfolio at the moment up in the northeast of England houses homeless people, um, families, young single men, single women waiting to get into rehab or just needing a place to stay um, while they get themselves back on their feet. And I'm now working with a couple of housing associations in Sheffield, one um, deals with care leavers, so children from 16 to 18 and just beyond that are no longer a part of the care system and need somewhere that they can go. Um, and also another homeless charity that that deals with kind of sofa surfers, so not street homeless people, but people that are kind of finding themselves staying in spare rooms or in the office or in their car. Um, and they're looking for somewhere to kind of get themselves on their feet. Obviously, you need an address to be able to get a job. Um, so it gives them somewhere just kind of temporary short term while they can get themselves back on their feet and then they can take on a standard AST of their own. Sounds amazing, Victoria. And and what I'd like to just highlight here is that sometimes landlords get bad rap, but this is the kind of work that landlords who are ethical, responsible, like you, like me, this is a type of work and, and the properties that we are offering out into the world. Yeah, um, and I, I agree that we don't always have the best name. And I think it's that old age that there's a few that spoil it for the many. Um, and obviously there are um, landlords that aren't quite as ethical and provide houses that, that aren't really fit for purpose. Um, but I pride myself in that I would live in any of my houses. And that's the kind of quality that, that I want to put out there. Um, I certainly don't want to be a slum, slum landlord at all. It's not what I want to be known for. And I recently had a conversation with somebody else about supported living. And he said that everywhere advertises no DSS. He said, you shouldn't be doing that anymore. I said, but I think that's just generally a bit of snobbery and kind of opened him up to the whole world of supported living. And he had no idea that there was a whole sector of landlords that really provide homes for domestic violence sufferers, for homeless people, for um, refugees that have entered the country and need somewhere safe to live. So, um, so yeah, there's a whole sector of the industry that... I think is completely underrated, um, undervalued and in, in great need. And you talked about properties that are fit for purpose. Let's spin that around about purpose and why property is the area that you work in. So previously, I've 
always wanted to help. I've cared for my parents. They've both got a disability. They're both contraplasic. And believe it or not, at five foot two, I was always the tallest person in my house. So it was always me that was up the ladder and reaching for the higher stuff. And then I went on a majority of my career as a veterinary nurse. So I helped animals, um, got them back to health. Um, one of my favourite stories was a cat that had fallen into the Thames um, and had been in there for a few hours, was very cold, very shocked, quite dehydrated when it came into us. Um, and with just a bit of kind of basic first aid, warming up, a bit of fluid, a bit of food, we got it back to from kind of the brink of living to being a healthy, lovely cat. So um, that was a great story. So it's always been within me, I think, to help people. And my husband actually got started on the property journey. That was more his thing than mine. And he signed us up to a property seminar, um, which we went along. And when I discovered supported living and social housing, I just knew that that was a part of who I am to be able to give back and to help and to provide a great lifestyle for my family while helping others. It's just, it's win-win. And you talk about always wanting to help people, but there's that caring element to it so caring for your parents caring for animals caring for people in general not just in your own family where does that start can you remember or is it just an inherent part of who you are I think it's just inherently part of who I am like I say my parents disability it's it's a stature thing so they're both only kind of four foot foot high so I've always known them to be the size they are that's it's not something that They've lost an arm or a limb um, and suddenly life has changed. That's always been who they are. But my mum says back to kind of when I was little, I was always willing to wash up, even at kind of the age of four, and I wanted to help. And so I think it's just, yeah, just inherently part of, of who I am. So with that and knowing who you are, how has understanding that guided you? Oh, um, I think it has led... I've never been asked that question before. I think it has led me to always pick something in my life that I can make better. So I want to be able to make a difference in some way. Um, and so, like you say, kind of caring for my parents and like offering to wash up when you're four, I guess my four-year-old likes to wash up. I think that's just because she likes splashing in the water personally. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it has defined my career as a, as a veterinary nurse. That was obviously helping. Um, and then, like I say, when, when we started in property, finding the supported living, living element, to me then there was, there was no choice about which path I would take. So I think it has kind of led me down my, my paths of helping people. I've always been a member of a, a charity or the PTA or something like that at school. So again, even unpaid, I like to be able to helping people. I like to be able to add value. And I kind of think if, if nobody gave back, we would be in a very sad society. So um, I think I'm digressing slightly from your point. Sorry, Amy. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's led me to, to make decisions about where I want to be in my life. And it means that I can fulfill that that part of me as I go. So you strike me as someone who's very strong and, and got a lot of go-getting oomph and drive there. Have there been vulnerable moments? Definitely. Um, and I think everyone, obviously everyone has their moments um, and there are days when I'm not quite so vivacious and um, it was it's a bit of a struggle. Uh, when I injured, I injured my back. So part of the reason I stopped nursing was I was lifting a Great Dane onto the x-ray table so it could have its x-rays taken. Um, and I slipped two discs in my lumbar spine. Um, they've been recurring issues ever since. And I think it was 
three or four years ago, it got to the point where I couldn't barely walk. I couldn't take the kids to school. I couldn't drive. I couldn't do the housework. Um, and my 80-year-old father-in-law was living with us um, and doing all of those things. So that made me quite vulnerable because you kind of think, well, when you reach kind of nearly 40, you should be looking after your in- your parents or your in-laws, not vice versa. Um, but it, it did make me kind of, I think it made me want to come back stronger and want to kind of live life to its fullest because when you kind of end up like that and you can't you can't move you can't do simple things like pick your children up or walk them to school or something like that it really makes you kind of judge life differently and and you realize that it's it's definitely worth living so what would you say your main focus on why is at the moment victoria um for me it's without sounding potentially selfish, having just said that I like to care for people, it's to give my family the best life that I can. So I grew up in a council house with my parents in South London, completely ordinary. We didn't have a lot of money. I had some secondhand clothes. I no doubt had some secondhand toys. Um, we didn't go on exciting holidays every year. Um, I had, and it sticks with me quite vividly, that I had a pair of Ascot trainers when my best friend had a pair of LA gear that had come from America when she just got back from holiday at Disneyland. And I was fine about the holiday to Disneyland, but the trainers, they were amazing. Um, (laughs) So for me, it's being able to give my family um, an amazing life and to be able to take them to far-flung destinations, to be able to give them experiences that I didn't have as a child. But the fact that I can then do that while helping other people for me, it's just an amazing feeling. And I I totally resonate with what you're saying there about wanting to give your family those opportunities that you potentially, what you didn't have as as a child. Where does that then, or what what happens for your children having had those opportunities? Will you you see them wanting to to continue that for their children or will they not have so much of a drive because they've seen it as being just the way life is? Um... (laughs) That depends on which child you're asking me about. We've got three girls. They're all very, very different people. The eldest one, I think, will kind of expect that as her life standards. But it's already at 14 making her question. She wants to become a makeup artist in special effects. But she also wants to have a property portfolio alongside that so that she doesn't have to work to pay her bills. And the work she does is because it's a passion. But she will do as little as she possibly can to get that lifestyle. Um, She's inherently quite... um, I wouldn't say lazy, but that's probably a little bit mean, but she doesn't like to put much effort in. The middle one is very astute. Um, and I think she will have a lot of drive to be even better than, than we were. And then the littlest one, I'm not entirely sure. She's quite a comic. I'm not sure where she's headed, but I think, yeah. So I think it depends on, on their personalities, but the middle one, I think will definitely have the drive to, to improve and, and make even more. And the eldest one will kind of, will do it so that she doesn't have to work as hard. I think. And what do you think your your three girls get from having entrepreneurial parents? Um, I think I'm hoping that they see that it isn't necessarily a time for money exchange and that you don't have to be bound. Lots of their friends' parents work. They've worked all through the summer holidays. They work when they're at home from school in the evenings and they know that we can be there and spend that time with them um, and that we can be more flexible in our working arrangements. So I'm hoping that they they see an alternative lifestyle to just the nine to five grind that most of us grew up experiencing and having our parents in as well. So I see a drive, I see competency. 
I see huge amount of of desire to 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 make a difference. What do you do on a, a daily or weekly or even monthly basis to ensure that you're on top of things, that you are on target, you're reaching the goals that you've set yourself? Uh, so I set my five year goals and my one year goals, and then they are broken down into month generally monthly kind of checklist so I know that if I want to buy say four properties in a year then that means one a quarter so then I know how many houses I need to view how many offers I need to be putting in on an average to obtain that one property um so it kind of is working backwards for me that works really well even down to quite annually the books that I read so if I know I want to read eight books in a year I know I've worked out that that's I think six weeks roughly per book and then I divide um, the amount of pages by the amount of days that I read and then I know how many pages I need to read a day um, so it's quite anal um, <laughs> very left brain I think but um, for me working backwards from from your ultimate goal is the way that you're going to achieve them and then you can keep my husband and I are very good at keeping each other accountable and had a conversation with Kim this morning funnily enough about how we had a conversation on Monday and he kind of gave me the talking to that I needed um, to kick me back into action after some holidays. Um, so, but it is, it's something that we both respect and we both, we, we both respect each other enough that we can have that kind of conversation and, and know that it's for the best for our family and for our businesses. But yeah, so it's, it's having an accountability partner and then like I say, kind of reverse engineering what, what it is that you want to do. So accountability is crucial, setting your goals and then breaking them down into bite-sized chunks. Have there been, you mentioned that you, you've got book targets for the year. Have there been any books that have been particularly dry, oh, what's the word, uh, influential for you? Uh, I think two that stand out are Rich Dad Poor Dad, which I think most property entrepreneurs certainly have um, read. Um, and also The Magic of Thinking Big by Dr. David Schwartz, that I thought it was a fantastic book. Um, it's got lots of notes scribbled in the um, edges of the pages. There's lots of underlining. Um, and that gave me a really kind of good perspective and really helped with kind of increasing my my scope and my mindset. And with, uh, you mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And with that book, it's it's been a, a, a big favourite in the property community for sure. It's been one of those understanding the difference between assets and liabilities and, and try and have a conversation with someone who is not in property and just, and tell them that their home is a liability. They will not, they will not yeah. believe it. It's, yeah. it's really interesting. And I remember driving down to France and I thought, oh, we've got captive audience here with the two children in the back. So they were, it was quite a few years ago now, but so they were sort of early teens and they they listened to it and we were paused it and had a conversation about it. And it was really interesting for them to understand. And now they they do understand. And you talked about your middle daughter having that drive and how she can do even better than, than you've done so far. But understanding that from an early age, if I, I, and I and I don't have regrets, but I do wish sometimes if only I'd been more savvy as a as a younger kid. But I think a lot of that, I think, is to do with our surroundings and our upbringing. And it was just traditional that you swapped your time for money. And unless you had an entrepreneurial parent, I don't think that was even in anyone's kind of radar to, to think like that and to flip things on their head. Um, and certainly for kind of some of the older members of my family and my husband's family, you went to work, you worked hard, you bought your own home, you bought and paid for your car and 
and that was how you went. So to try and flip that on its head to someone whose values are so ingrained, like you say, it's, it's a difficult kind of understanding for people to get to. But actually, I think that book does a really good job of kind of breaking it down and making you understand kind of good, good debt, bad debt um, and assets and liabilities, because it's not something that I'd been exposed to at all before. Yeah, the, the the difference, as you say, between good debt and bad debt is is so crucial to understanding, especially when you're building a portfolio. Coming back to that and your the building of the portfolio and how much social housing is required, how much the supported living requirements are not being fulfilled. You are doing your best. What is it that other people could do to help out in this area? What is it that they could do in terms of of making their properties suitable for this whole demographic so i think one important thing with it is whenever you buy property is to ensure that you have a second exit strategy so whatever you are buying your property with that purpose for you need to make sure that you have another strategy that would be viable so if the if the bottom of the buy to let market suddenly falls out what can you do or as we saw with service accommodation during the pandemic Obviously, that ground to a complete halt. Nobody was going anywhere. So that if that's your only model and your only exit, then that puts you in a compromising position with your property. So I'd be very careful about modify, over-modifying a property purely for supported living because if that funding disappears from the housing association or the charity or the local authority that you're working with, you need to be able to revert that back to a standard buy-to-let or an HMO or service accommodation so you need to have another exit strategy in place so be careful about overly modifying but I think if you've got a property um, and you'd be interested in supported living then you need to um, contact providers in that area and see what it is they're looking for so I generally work on a on a buy to order basis I, I make contact with the providers I want to know what it is they're looking for it's no good me buying one bed flats if they're after six bed HMOs so I, I tend to buy to order but if you've got a property there will be a supported living association there'll be a housing charity a local authority that, that will be able to use it whatever size whatever kind of um, property you have so make contact with them there's an amazing um website um, that I'm happy to make a referral to if anyone wants to know um, they can get in touch with me um, and they deal directly with providers um, and you can upload your your property on there and providers if it ticks all the boxes will, will approach you to, to take that property on um, and I think there's a lot of snobbery just to digress slightly sorry again um, there's a lot of kind of snobbery when it comes to supported living and people are like mm, I'm not sure that's for me I'm not sure I want that kind of tenant I'm not sure it's financially viable um, but when you lease your property, generally on a supported living lease, you're leasing it to that housing association. So there's no voids, there's no management fees, there's no wear and tear, maintenance, property maintenance bills. That's all paid for by the housing association. So once you take all of those kind of minuses out of the cash flow, it may not be the highest cash flow to start with. But once you take away all of those elements, it then starts to cash flow quite well. So financially, it's rewarding. As, as well as being morally rewarding. Um, so if you've got a property, then like I say, and you're kind of considering it, then reach out, talk to, you can find them on the on the internet, you only have to Google, search them, um, and they'll come up and you can approach them and see if they need need your property. Fantastic. Well, we'll make sure that at the end, we'll talk about how people can contact you and make sure in the show notes that they're all, all those are listed as well. I just want to go back to the fact that you ended your career through the back injury. Do you miss the veterinary nursing? Do you miss those Great Danes and those cats that you've pulled out of the Thames? Um, yeah, a part of me does. Um, and it was 
I had an amazing career, worked at lots of different practices. I spent most of it in a charity that um, provides treatment for sick animals rather than what you would deem as private practice. Um, so you saw lots of varied cases um, and lots of sick pets rather than the routine stuff like vaccinations and neutering and that kind of thing. I don't miss the heavy lifting um, and I don't miss the draining hours. But yeah, and it kind of feels like everything I know is almost kind of wasted. I can tell you that red blood cell lasts for 120 days. Pointless information like that, which would have no benefit other than in, in nursing. Um, so I do, yeah, I kind of feel that everything I learned and everything I did now is not being used. But it, the fact I've moved on to a new chapter, I've found another way to help and, and something else that I'm passionate about. So I do miss those days. I'm not sure I'd want to be nursing now, to be honest. It's long hours. It's draining. It's very emotionally um, draining. You get very invested in your patients. And if the treatment doesn't go the way you're hoping, then that, that can take its toll on you as well. But yeah, it's, um, it's sad, but that chapter's ended and I'm on to the next one. And you've got your own pets now, so it's all good. Oh, yes, we live in a zoo. There's a gecko, there's fish, there's a rabbit, there's a dog, there's loads. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fun. So what's next on the agenda for you, Victoria? Um, for me, I'm on a mission to try and encourage everyone to get into supported living. So um, whether you're in property or not, then, yeah, I, I think everyone should be involved in supported living. Like I said, it's financially rewarding, it's morally rewarding, um, and you're helping people when they need it most. I have recently been approached about doing some coaching. Um, so I'm just kind of in the process of, of setting that up. Um, I'm starting now to try and speak wherever I can, podcasts, virtual stages, and lots of different places to try and spread the word about supported living and, and to get people as passionate as I am about getting involved. So what would happen if your husband hadn't gone to that property seminar and, and pulled you into this area? I think I would now be either working in a supermarket, now all the children are at school, or a very bored stay-at-home mum. So after I left left nursing, the eldest one was only only two. And like I said, we've gone on to have two more children. I love being at home with kids. Um, I love that I'm here when they get home from school. I love that I can spend the holidays with them. But it's given me, this has given me a whole real sense of purpose and made me grow massively as a person. So yeah, I think I'd either possibly um, be working somewhere mundane or um, bored at home <laughs> watching Netflix. Um, so I'm so glad that that he did, that he signed us up and took us in a whole new direction. And had you done much sort of mindset or personal development beforehand? No, no, not at all. Um, self-development was a whole new thing to me. And it's it has now become a huge part of who I am. Like I say, I read daily, um, do a lot of mindset work. I've overcome quite a few big blocks in kind of finding out who I am, where my blockages are. Um, had a conversation recently about an event that happened in my life. Um, and I worked with a breakthrough coach because I'd got to the point where I was feeling like it, I wasn't quite good enough to be where I was and that I wasn't worth it. Um, and so I worked with a breakthrough coach um, and we had a session, went back to that event in my early childhood, um, which I would have said to you, I was completely apathetic about that. I had no strong feelings about it and that I was completely over it. But it turns out that actually that was causing a huge block that I was completely unaware of. Um, so it's, yeah, it's completely changed who I am, where I see myself in five years time. Um, and the fact that I know now that I will never know it all and I will keep on growing. And do you know, out of curiosity, have you ever done the wealth dynamics? 
No. Oh, I was just curious to find out where, where you sat on that particular grid. Uh, you clearly have probably done your Myers-Briggs personality profiles and things like that. Uh, yeah, I've, well, I've done the, is that the animal one? It can uh, be. It can be. Okay. Um, so I am, I think I'm a dolphin on that one. Um, okay. When I, when I took the, the animal, is that? Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, Nigel Risner does the, the animal and he does the, oh, the lion, the owl, the dolphin and the monkey. Monkey, Monkey. which is who he is. And I've had Nigel Risner on the podcast and he's talked to me about how he uses those those particular tools to assess a room, to think about who he's working with. And and when he's doing workshops, it really helps to know where people fit into those different areas. It's really interesting. But I've been working a lot with clients recently using their wealth dynamics because it it's where you sit naturally in creating and building and retaining your wealth and then knowing who you need on your essentially sort of your power triangle, the other two people that you need. So that you've got all eight different areas covered. And it's, re- it's really quite interesting when you know where you sit naturally, who you need and then what effect that will have on your roles and responsibilities in creating. And, and as I said, you know, holding on to your wealth. So yeah, really, really that interesting. That sounds amazing. I'll be off to yeah. look at that afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is what I love. It's all oh, you're always learning something new, always something different to, to look at. And it's interesting as well, when you spoke about the breakthrough coaching that you had, how you were unaware that you had a block. And many people are unaware that they've got blocks that are holding themselves back. They don't realize they've got limiting beliefs in different areas, particularly around money. The money mindset is fascinating. and And with that... Also, some of the core emotions that you have and and how you then build on those over the years. And again, you don't realize that there was an initial trigger back in your early childhood where you experience that particular emotion. And every time something comes up, it just carries on and you don't realize you've got those blocks and those situations happening. So fascinating work. I do a lot of of timeline therapy and hypnosis work with clients who then want to sort of go and experience it and see what the learnings are. And that's where you just said, you know, there's so many learnings all the time. Once you know from the circumstances. Yeah. And I think one of, one of the first times that I really saw how a shift in mindset can alter your perspective was, as you'll see from the show notes, I'm running the virtual London marathon on the 3rd of October for dementia UK. Um, so, and I that all started in my rehabilitation from my um, back injury. So I went to see the physio um, and he said to me, you can do any exercise you like, um, just start slowly. And I said, but my whole body screams at me every time I go to move. And he said, that's just your brain on red alert telling you just to be careful. He said, you've just got to tell it that it's absolutely fine. So I said to him, so can I start running? And he said, yeah, you can start running. He said, download the couch for 5K. He said, but just take it carefully. So I'd, I'd never run anything other than a bath, Amy, prior to um, this. Honestly, I, if we had to run at school, I used to hide. I hated running. Um, so I downloaded the couch to 5K. And I think about week six or week eight, you go from running for eight minutes to running for 25 minutes. And I looked at that, and I used to kind of skip ahead and look at what I was doing the next week. And I looked at that, and I was like, there's no way I can run for 25 minutes. I am dying after eight minutes. I was like, I can't do it. There's there's no way I can manage to run for 25 minutes. That's crazy. And then I kind of thought about it during the week and I'd said this to my husband and I said, but if if at this point in the program, everyone got to 25 minutes, couldn't manage it and gave up, then they wouldn't have it at that point in the program. 
they they wouldn't have everyone stumbling at week eight. So it must be possible. Otherwise, they wouldn't put it in there. So I was like, no, come on then, Vic. Kind of sort yourself out. You can do it. If it's in the program, it must be possible because everyone does it. So I went off and I ran for 25 minutes. And I have, I think I was prouder at that point than when I finished my half marathon um, last year because I'd completely convinced myself that I was never going to be able to run for 25 minutes. And I finished it and I felt absolutely amazing. And it, I think it was purely just that shift in mindset. I think if I'd have gone on that 25 minute run telling myself that I couldn't do it and I couldn't manage it, I, I wouldn't have done it. So to kind of shift that round and turn it around and say, well, it must be possible. I went and I did it and and I'm not telling you that it was easy, um, but I survived um, and I did it. And then, like I say, I'm now running 18 miles at the moment and 20 miles at the weekend and then 26 miles in three weeks' time. So, yeah, anything's possible if you've got the right mindset, I think. Well, it's even closer than that because this podcast is is out suit very close to your date. So this this podcast is going to be released on the twenty third of September, which is now the okay. day. Uh, so literally, just, ten days before. Yeah, ten days before. So there we go, putting you into the future. Have you always had that sort of self competitive streak? Um, no, <laughs> and I think that has come from my self development. I've always been quite self deprecating, and I'd give it a go, but if I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But now, um, and I think goal settings had a lot to do with that. I set my goals um, and I I know that I can get myself there with the right mindset and the right people around me, that there'll be nothing to stop me. So I think that has all come from this self-development journey and listening to another podcast the other day on a completely separate topic. Someone said, well, if they're not getting there, it's because their why is not strong enough. And I think that obviously quite apt for for this podcast but I think that is really really true and the drive to give my family that life I now know that I I will reach my goals and that's that's not questions yeah absolutely the why is not strong enough for sure if if you're if also not aligned with your values you know it's not something that you value as being a priority yeah completely so I think if property potentially was all about just earning some money I'm not sure it would be completely aligned with who I am and I wouldn't have got quite so passionate about it but the fact that that I can do it while helping other people that obviously aligns with one of my real core values and and pushes me on even further and you mentioned about having the right people around you clearly you've got a very supportive husband who also gives you sort of quite full-on pet talks (laughs) yeah (laughs) who who else have you surrounded yourself with um so I think there's a phrase in there that you become who you surround yourself with um, and that you kind of, I think I learned fairly early early on in the journey. So to start with, I was surrounding myself with other new property investors, but then through um, my coach and through other events I've been to, I've really kind of leveled up and I'm now looking at kind of higher level entrepreneurs such as Kim um, um, and surrounding myself then with other people that are very goal orientated and want to improve their lives, want to improve the lives of others. So it's, I think it is about who you have in your network. And if I'd stayed with kind of some of the mums at the school gate, I don't, again, I don't know if the drive, the drive would be the same as surrounding myself with the entrepreneurs that, that I'm around. Well, let's see who else we can bring into your network. How could people get in contact with you? So um, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. There's not many that people not that many people with the surname of Ely, so um, I shouldn't be too hard to find. Um, and the SBM Property Group website. 
they're all in the show notes but yeah I'm on most social media perfect well I'll make sure they go into the show notes as you say it's been an absolute pleasure and I want to say thank you to Kim for introducing us it's been really good fun exploring why you do what you do today Victoria do you have some final words for the audience please I do one of again going back to that very first property seminar one of the things that was displayed up on the wall was the phrase fear is temporary and regret lasts forever and I have adopted that as my go-to phrase fear is temporary but regret certainly will last forever so if there's something you want to do bite the bullet and go ahead and do it Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.